once I'd left teaching, although I thought that that would give me the space to heal, what it gave me the space was to really fully go into my illness. So I got a lot worse before I started to get better. After more than 25 years in the teaching profession, Karen Arthur found herself in a dark and difficult place. All of this created this kind of perfect storm, these conditions that led me to think, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm checking out. But discovering that the depression and anxiety she was experiencing could be down to the menopause led her to make some big and surprising changes in her life and work, including launching her popular podcast, Menopause Whilst Black. thought, right, let's say I've got a good 40 years left, hopefully. 30, 40 years. I'm going to curate the rest of my life doing the things that I love. I'm never going to do anything I don't want to do. In this episode of the Courageous Content Podcast, you'll hear from Karen Arthur, a former teacher who had the courage to follow her interests and create the kind of content her audience wanted, rather than what she thought she should be creating. A decision that changed her life and her business for the better. Karen is a keynote speaker at my annual content marketing event, Courageous Content Live. It's happening in Newcastle in November on the 1st and 2nd of November. And that's 2022 if you're listening in the future. You're listening to the Courageous Content Podcast. I'm Janet Murray, and I love helping coaches, creatives, and entrepreneurs create super engaging content that generates leads and sales for their businesses. No one starts a business and just knows how to create engaging content. It's a skill that has to be learned and practiced. And there's always something new to learn, no matter how long you've been in business. And I know running an online business can feel messy. Perfectionism, fear, self-doubt, and other mindset stuff can stop you showing up online in the way that's best for you. So you'll get help with that too. Ready to get courageous with your content? Let's get started. So Karen, you were a teacher and you did that till you were 52. Mm. What happened? Well, that's a big question, you know. I have a performing arts degree, so I taught dance for 17 years in secondary schools in London. And then I moved across to pastoral teaching and I loved being ahead of year and ahead of house. I thought it was a wonderful thing. But I suppose um, a lot of my focus was around my two girls. I had split from my partner about eight years before I finally left teaching. And I was getting to the point where whilst I loved the kids and I loved that, the system itself had changed. So I found myself kind of bucking up against talking about things like, you know, if I, I didn't think I could leave teaching. I, I had a hefty mortgage. I had two girls at university. I had expenses. I felt trapped. And so what I did was I went off. I, I was signed off sick from work. But all I did during that time was try to get better to go back to work. I wasn't trying to get better. I was trying to get better to go back to a job that ultimately I'd fallen out of love with because I couldn't see the other side. And then we moved into, we're talking 2015 now, and a few things happened. My brother, who is a Buddhist, introduced me to mindful meditation. I read a big book, very big book, half a big book, actually, because <laughs> it's, it's really big, uh, by John Kabat-Zinn called Full Catastrophe Living. Mm-hmm. I fell down a hole and injured myself. And that meant that my body started to shut down. And I've always been very proud of how healthy I was and how fit I was and all that kind of stuff. 
my aunt passed away. My aunt Monica passed away. And we weren't expecting that. And all of this created this kind of perfect storm, these conditions that led me to think, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm checking out. So I left teaching and I thought that will solve my problems. But that wasn't the problem. The problem was that I was changing and I was going through what my mum used to call the change, what we all call menopause, which is all in the news now. At the time, no one was talking about really. And I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression. The doctor knew that I was experiencing menopause, but also knew that I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression and so offered me antidepressants, which I declined at the time because I felt like My mother is very holistic. My mother was into aromatherapy in the 70s when no one was. And so I wanted to see if there was something I could do that didn't involve taking tablets, but I didn't rule it out. I just said to the doctor, let me go away for a few months. If I still want them, I'll come back. And I saw a herbalist. I learned to meditate. I extended my stretching practice, my yoga. I call it yoga, but it wasn't really yoga because it was more dance moves stretching morning routine that kind of suits my body I started to do affirmations which is something I advocate for strongly so once I'd left teaching although I thought that that would give me the space to heal what it gave me the space was to really fully go into my illness so I got a lot worse before I started to get better you see me as a colorful person now I would wear black. I would wear hoodies. I didn't really take care of myself. Some days I didn't leave my bed. As you're listening to this on a a podcast, you won't be able to see what I can see, but Karen is extremely colourful. In fact, I'm not feeling brilliant today and I couldn't feel more uncolourful and washed out. (laughs) But she's got this amazing like patchwork background. She's wearing this really like Hawaiian shirt. She's got pineapple earrings and she couldn't look further than from what she's just described. So how long did it take you to come through and and how did you come through it? This is an interesting question because I suppose in a sense I lost track of time. I, I mean, I know now looking back on it, but I was also grieving for my aunt and I, I felt guilty because I felt that I hadn't seen her many, as many times as I should in inverted commas have done. And I also felt like I had spent a lot of time while she was in hospital imagining being the perfect niece and all the things we would do together. So it felt like a double whammy. And I noticed that I started to get better because I started to accept invitations to things. But I would be so like, normally I'm someone who, if I'm going into town, into London, for example, I might do two or three things, kill several birds of one stone. Whereas when I was anxious, I might do one thing a week and then come straight home again and come home early. Um, I started to dress to make myself feel better or to get myself out the door. So for me, it might be something that my late Aunt Monica, I had a couple of skirts of hers. When I really missed her, I might put one of those on. Or it might be bright colours. As you know, I love bright colours and I, I love texture and pattern. So I might wrap my head up in a brightly coloured, you know, patterned fabric. I might put on some of my Aunt Monica's earrings. I might put on something that has happy memories of it. And I started to talk about that on Twitter at the time. Instagram wasn't really a thing. And I hashtagged it where you're happy because I strongly felt that 
and I still believe that, and now fashion psychology, you know, bears me out, is that wearing clothes with intention and choosing clothes that you love, um, not necessarily because you think you should wear them, but because you love them. Sometimes with me, it manifests itself in colour, but with some people, it's memories, it's texture. Some people love silks and cashmere, you know, if you can afford it and stuff like that. But when we're intentional about the way that we dress, we do feel better. And a lot of people know that, but they don't do it Mm. because it's easier and quicker to reach for the thing that matches the thing or the thing that's clean or the suit. And I think Mm. the pandemic, in a sense, has has meant that people have had have a different relationship with their clothing. And some of it might be because, you know, leisure wear has taken off, of course, and we've taken leisure wear to outerwear. But also I knew that during, well, certainly in the lockdowns, if I didn't dress as if I was leaving my house, my mood would plummet. And I'm mm. not about to go back there. I knew I wasn't going. So there were lots of other things that happened. I took myself to therapy. I'm a strong advocate for therapy. And I think therapy should be free for everybody. I, I, I think that we should, we all could do with it. Mm. I think that once you get to certainly 40 and 50, you've got so much sometimes inherited, sometimes, you know, you've gone through trauma, resentment, and this shows up in our illnesses and that shows up in our body. And certainly it was for me because falling down, it was a tiny little hole, but it had so many far-reaching consequences and it made me feel, I couldn't feel hope, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think I chucked a lot of things at it. So Mm -hmm. I went into therapy. I worked with a creative business coach because I realized that Okay, I'd been a teacher for almost three decades. I hadn't got a contingency plan because I thought I'd be a teacher until I retired and then I'd wait for my grandkids and die. That's honestly Mm. how I, because I needed to keep this house. But what I did was I thought, right, let's say I've got a good 40 years left, hopefully, 30, 40 years. I'm going to curate the rest of my life doing the things that I love. I'm never going to do anything I don't want to do. And apart from a stint supply teaching, which I'm going to say, shout out to teachers out there. I love you. I think you're amazing. Um, I've stuck to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd always, my mother taught me to sew when I was 15. So I had a little hobby on the side, which was making bags and, and then I'd seeped into making clothes and, but I didn't take it seriously. I never looked at the finances because I always had the money to buy the stuff. I don't think I was making a profit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was mm-hmm. definitely a hobby. But I had that skill. And so with my business coach, it was like double therapy in a sense. She helped me to see that my, that my love for sewing is built around creating relationships. And so I moved into making bespoke clothes for women. And it wasn't an overnight success. I did, I had five months. I remember a memorable five months of no clients whatsoever. So you do a lot of baking things and making mm-hmm. things and, that kind of stuff and word of mouth and it built itself up. And now I'm at another phase of my life where I'm mm. transitioning and kind of reevaluating. But certainly for me, it was around making the decision to only do what I love. And that's hard. That's easier said than done. Because mm. you still got to make money. We still live in a capitalist society. <laughs> yeah. And it's about going against society's expectations. Because so, I was a teacher before, and I remember when I left teaching, um, my dad said to me, you'll go back to teaching. And I have carried on teaching, but not in the way that, uh, not in that way. 
the thing about that is that we teachers have so many transferable skills. But mm. because we do stay, see, I say we, I'm not a teacher anymore. But like you say, I think I still teach in some way. Yeah, yeah. And I, whilst I may not go back into the secondary school or primary school system, there will always be a place for teaching in my heart because I love to teach people to sew. And I love to teach people through how I live my life and what I've done. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So it's still teaching mm. in that sense. And it, but it was incredibly stressful. Mm. And I, I work harder, but I work differently. I often think about the fact that my life is not stressful now. Any stress that is in my life is lack of planning. <laughs> it's, because, mm. it's because I procrastinated over something. But I also, I know myself better. So I recognize that that slight adrenaline hit does help my creativity. So mm. I do need a kind of a deadline to be able to come up with the goods. And then I fly, you mm. see. Whereas yeah, yeah. back in the day when I was younger, I didn't know. I just used to beat myself up for being procrastinating all the time. Whereas that's my thing. Yeah, I think a lot of creative people, yeah. it's, it's how we get things done, isn't it? Yeah. And we're going to talk about the next phase of your business in a second, but I wanted to go back to menopause because obviously it's really, yeah. it is really relevant. So like you, my mum called it the change and maybe my mum didn't have too hard a time with it. I don't know. But anyway, she sort of got through it and it sometimes there were conversations about the change, <laughs> but I didn't really know much about it. But I've certainly noticed a massive difference. More TV shows, more stuff on the radio, more things in the media. I guess in the last couple of years, come more into people's periphery, I guess, or more out of the periphery into the centre. But I think you said that when you were going through it, that that just wasn't the same. And I think I've read quite a lot of stuff about the link between depression and anxiety and menopause and that people just bizarrely hadn't linked the two in any way and and wouldn't think to have a woman in front of them in the doctor's office talking about what they were experiencing would not think to connect the two and it sounds like that was where we were when you were going through it yeah I mean we're talking 2014 Mm. 2015 and because my no one was at work was talking about menopause so whilst now Everybody is talking about it. And part of the reason for that is because of fantastic work by people like Diane Dansbury, who runs a campaign, uh, Make Menopause Matter, and Davina McCall's programme that I was in, which is yeah. in the menopause. But again, Diane's been going for maybe two, possibly three years, but a while, you know. Mm. But also brands have gotten hold of it. Let's be very clear. Let's mm. not forget the system that we live in and have been brought up under. And so, when brands get hold, when there's money to be made, there will be more talking. Mm. But I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. But I would say that women who are approaching the very menopause and are going through menopause, we need to have our wits about us because you have to work out who wants to look after me, how much of this is people caring about me, and how much is this people wanting to make a quick buck out of me. And, mm. and that's just, you know, because... Often women are done a disservice throughout history when it comes to, particularly in the last, let's say, 100 years, when advertising became the thing. Mm. Because it's preying on our fear of looking old, getting old, not appearing a certain way. And mm. that's patriarchy, you know. Mm. So the reason that people become quite antsy about being linked to menopause sometimes is because it means that people know we're a certain age and we celebrate youth much more. Than yeah, 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 yeah. So I have made it a habit of unpicking 
why I feel a certain way about certain things. And often it's that, it's conditioning. And so, you know, that that's something to think about. Certainly, I, I welcome the talk full stop because my mother never spoke about it. And often mm. we think, our, we may think our mothers didn't have any symptoms or went through it because I would have been in my 20s when my mum, I wasn't interested in what my mum was doing. I was too busy living my best life <laughs> at UK. You know, I, I wouldn't, mm. and even if she, and she wanted to talk to me about it, I possibly would have dismissed it or, do you see what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I think about, even in teaching, the number of women who got to senior management kind of disappeared or got to a certain age, uh, teaching assistants or whatever, and kind of went part-time. They mm. say that, what's the, the highest statistic around <laughs> suicides in women between is between 45 and 51? Mm. That's mm. bloody perimenopause, menopausal mm. state. So the links between us, anxiety and depression and menopause, need to be much further researched. Mm. There is a lot of research happening at menopause at the moment, but it's way overdue, way mm. overdue. And mm. so the more we talk about it and the more open about the fact that, oh, my God, I, you know, I, I forgot how, you know, I put my keys in the fridge the other day or that kind of thing. Um mm. Other women will say, oh, that happened to me too, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. After that that conversation, I think it was a Facebook conversation, I, I went to my running club that evening and um, I can't remember how it came up because it was actually in a running context that somebody had said it to me. And I was saying, yeah, part of me is like kind of like, because I think it is hard as a woman, isn't it? When you, I, I always look young for my age, like mm. from when I was, you know, like I struggled to get into bars when I was 18 yeah. and that's it, you know, it was that kind of woman. And you are also coming to terms with the fact that you don't look like you think you looked and you're looking in the mirror and there's this different person sort of. Yeah. You. you know, and especially when you've got teenage daughters and like one of the things that I mean, I've joked about it, but you know, walking down the street with my beautiful 16 year old daughter and thinking, Oh, men are looking at me. Aren't they? <laughs> Why are yeah. these men smiling at me? Oh, they're, they're smiling at her. But when I went to the running club that evening and I was, and a lot of the women there, they said, Oh, I had a terrible time when I was working with the older ladies and it was just awful. Like I considered going part-time, I considered leaving my job, but the trouble was nobody was talking about it and nobody was very sympathetic to it. And there was partly part of me thinking, oh no, is that what I've got to look forward to? But also nice that women were were just talking openly and sharing their experiences. And in a context like that, in a running, you know, in a kind of sports context as well, about some of the ways that it had impacted on their running and, and that kind of stuff. What would be good to find out though is obviously listeners of this podcast will generally be business owners. How have you seen it impacting on women who run businesses or what kind of things might they want to think about? I think when it comes to business owners, small business owners I'm thinking of, we often work alone anyway. And so it's really important that we have a network of people that we can talk to and that we can feel open and vulnerable and honest with. Because we can talk about, men, you know, there's a lot of talk about menopause, workplace policies, but lots of, there are lots of women, more women than ever, especially since the pandemic, who are mm -hmm. starting businesses who aren't in these, who aren't in a workplace. Mm -hmm. you know? And so it might be very well that you've got a workplace policy at your bank or wherever you mm -hmm. happen to work. But if you're at home, and you've got maybe a social media assistant, someone you'd see virtually, or there's just you on your own. It can feel really hard. 
So mm. it's really, really important to recognise that you are absolutely not alone. I think mm. that's the thing that I want to get across because when I left teaching and started my business, I talked about all the things to do with my life and some of that was menopause. I didn't specifically set out to talk about menopause. It's just that I knew I was menopausal. I was also very aware that there weren't any black women at the time talking about menopause, let alone women talking about menopause. If you Googled menopause and clicked images, all you saw were you know, white women with you know grey hair, very sad, heads in their hands, wearing beige and, you know, like no one who looked like me, acted like me, or even like my friends, you know. Mm. And for me, first of all, did was gather my friends in real life. I gathered my black friends in real life and said, right, I'm going through menopause. You probably are too. Let's have a chat. Let's talk about aging. Let's t-. And we would swap, you know, remedies and vitamins and different things around my kitchen table. I might teach them some meditation, something. I might feed, I would feed them because they wouldn't come without mm-hmm. me. And then we'd go and we'd have a laugh and we'd feel supported. I did that mm. a couple of times. And then two things happened. The pandemic hit and George Floyd was murdered. And I, I say these specifically because it wasn't that black folks weren't being murdered every day. It was that that particular heinous crime took everybody's notice. And I had, first of all, social media was a madness. It was crazy. Lots of performative action, the Black Square Summer, we call it, you know, the mm. saying, pledging, just a lot of eye rolling in my community. Let's just put it that way. Mm. I had a rage, but I didn't know what to do with it. And also I'm stuck in my kitchen making masks at the time. So I've moved from my studio to my home and I'm keeping myself busy and occupied. And out there, you can't escape the news. It's everywhere. I couldn't understand how black women who are menopausal, knowing that stress can exacerbate your menopause symptoms, knowing that stress can bring on your menopause symptoms, also knowing from my own research that black women are more likely to experience menopause up to two years earlier than our white counterparts. Mm-hmm. and to suffer from some symptoms like hot flushes more severely. Knowing all that, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, wait, you know, watching this racism play out, watching this racial trauma, which is stress, how is this affecting people mm-hmm. who look like me? How? And I, so I did a video, I had a little bit of a rant, and I asked a question, which was, if you Google menopause and you click images, what do you see? And it was a simple instruction, and you did it, and everybody saw what I saw. I was like, oh. Where are the black folks? And so it started a conversation online. My following had gone up quite a lot because people were busy diversifying my feed. And that was a weird thing, I'm not going to lie. And I started to ask questions. There wasn't a lot of information out there, black women. Mm. And research was outdated. Like, for example, the research I found asking black women about uh, menopause was actually from 2007. And it was asking BME, so it's British Minority Ethics, that's anybody who's not white, basically, Mm. um, why they are less likely, half as likely to take up hormone replacement therapy than their white counterparts. And 40 people were in that research. And only 22 of them identified as, let me get this right, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I I ended up finding out that four of them were black British women and that was it. 
And so I started my own survey and out 400 women, black British women filled in. And out of that came this need for, first of all, people didn't know about menopause. Mothers weren't talking about it. But most of all, people wanted more. Mm. And a lot of people mentioned, but I knew there was a podcast of a woman who is a good friend of mine now, um, Emma Shardy Bernie Scott, who runs Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. But she's American and it's based in America and has a very American perspective. And so I, I felt like there needed to be more. But I did the thing we do, that women do, which we go, we look, we look around and we go, I can't do this. Someone else is better than me. Do you know what I mean? I'm not qualified. Mm-hmm. I can't call myself a researcher because I haven't got a degree in researching. <laughs> like, you know, I, I remember waiting a whole week before putting it on Twitter because I was scared that somewhat, because it's quite cerebral Twitter and brutal when it wants mm, to be. Yeah. And I thought some academic is going to tweet me and call me out on the internet telling me that this research was done 10 years ago and to get back in my box. Anyway, that didn't happen. And I, people wanted a podcast. And again, I thought, I'm not a podcaster. I don't know the first thing about podcasting. I asked around. Um, people suggested my a snowball, a blue snowball thing. I bought that. Mm. It sat in my on my kitchen table for four months whilst I looked at it. I went on YouTube and I looked up how to edit in GarageBand. I, you know, I did the things. Mm. And then one day I thought, yeah, I should probably do this. And I and I emailed ten women, ten black women who I knew were around kind of fifty. Mm. And I said, I'm starting this podcast. Do you want to get involved? And not one of them said no. I'm going to have to do it now, aren't I? And it, it, the first episode dropped, I think, the 26th of October, which happens to be World Menopause Month with uh, Pamela Wendell. And it was, I'm in my third season now, coming to the end of the third season. And that's opened up opportunities. It's just for your life, your business, your, yeah. Yeah, it's opened up opportunities for my life. I guess it was the first podcast of its kind, Menopause Whilst Black. It was the Mm. first time that black women had sat down in the UK and talked about menopause, which seems bonkers, but it it Mm. is what it is. I was very specific about the name and that I wanted it to be for black women. Mm. But I also didn't want, it's interesting, people say, so many women have said to me, can only black women listen to it? Which I think is a nonsensical question. <laughs> that would, do you know what I mean? Like mm. when you start your podcast, the women go, oh, is it only for, do you see what I mean? Yeah, you yeah, would yeah. ask those questions, but because I was menopause whilst black, because I'm a black woman and I'm also mm. menopausal, that was it. But it's black women talking about menopause and these stories resonate with everyone because we have that connection. And mm. I strongly believe that the more women from all backgrounds who talk about their menopausal experience, the easier it will be for your daughter, for my daughters, and for people coming up. And also that menopause is a global conversation. It's not down to women to have these conversations. The guys need to be talking about it. Mm. And not saying, like they used to say, oh, you're on your period, or oh, you're on your menopause. It's not because mm. that in, that's sexist as well. But certainly knowing the symptoms, knowing how they can support women around them, mm. um, knowing about, you know, a little bit about menopause care and listening to us when we think we're going mad, reassuring us mm. or the women in your lives that actually this is completely normal. And also mm. that, that menopause 
doesn't only affect women in their 50s. There's perimenopause, which is often starts mm. in your 40s, but can start earlier, a lot earlier. Mm. And so it's supporting all those women because when we're all supported, isn't the world a better place? Mm, definitely. And um, I think I said to you before, a lot of my audience who white women say, oh, I love Karen's podcast. And, <laughs> and that's the thing, isn't it? And you're going to talk more about this at the event. You make the content for the people that you think need that content. It doesn't mean that other people can't benefit or can't be part of that community or benefit from hearing those stories. But it's that boldness to say, I'm going to make content for these people, for this community. If anyone wants to come along for the ride, you're absolutely welcome. And there's benefit in that. And, and that feels like what you were creating. It's freedom. It's, yeah. it's empowering when you recognise that you can actually do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. I spent four, five decades doing what I thought I should do, trying mm-hmm. to fit in, trying to be black enough, trying to be white enough, trying to be intelligent enough trying to wear certain things. Mm. It's, it's absolutely not bloody worth it. It's not worth it. Mm. And when the penny finally drops, because I've been in and out of love with social media, but when I decided that I was only going to speak when I wanted to speak and I was only going to talk about what I want to talk about, post what I want to post, mm. you know, it just makes things a lot easier. And actually it turns it into a bit of fun, mm. you know. And we're also brought up to believe that you said about teaching and having there was a certain status attached to teaching. And people mm. thought I was mad leaving my, especially my mm. elders, you know, my mum and, you know, my aunts and uncles. I didn't understand why I had to. Mm. I, I felt like I had no choice. But also I thought, well, I'll have to go in. They thought, oh, well, I'll go into another job. No, I wasn't going to do that. I do mm. lots of things because I like lots of things because we're multifaceted humans and we don't have to stick to one thing. That awful mm. Commuted sentence saying, a jack of all trades, master of none, which is actually a much longer saying, which makes much more sense. Mm. So I thought, well, I'd have to stick to one thing. No, you don't. I'm really good at making things. I'm really good at styling things. I'm really good at talking. I'm really, I'm good at lots of things. So I'm going to do those things because I like doing them. And when I don't like doing them, I'll stop. End Mm. of. (laughs) So. You're going to be talking more about this at Courageous Content Live. What can we expect from you? You know, I, my life is my blueprint for me. But if I would like my, what I've done and how I've done it to inspire other women to step up, that's what I want to say. Because really and truly, whether it comes to creating content, which is a phrase I don't like, but I've got to own it because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> whether it comes to that, because I just think I just post pictures and post videos and it's about a bit. Do you know what I mean? But I want to talk about how I got to where I am, where I think I'm going, because of course, where I think I'm going might be something completely different, you know, and how to do it and love it. And often that is around, it sounds really crappy, but being authentic. It's every, I always check in with myself. I always ask myself, what is my motive here? Am I doing this because I want to be liked? Am I doing mm. this because I want to be remembered? Or am I doing this because I want to do it? Am mm. I doing it out of resentment? In which case, don't. Do you see? Mm. Well, yeah. I do check in with myself. I'm a big fan of journaling. I'm a big fan of morning pages and writing down, not just how I feel at the time, but also what I want to do. Because mm. when I, I'm the kind of person that once it's written down, I'm going to say it out loud. And once I say it out loud, it's happening. 
It sounds like what we're going to get from you might be about inspiring, although you don't like this phrase, content creator. But no, but <laughs> it, it, we are, aren't we? Uh, inspiring people to be the kind of content, content creators they want to be and, yeah. and, and, and to have the confidence to create content in a way that works for their business. And that feels like what hopefully we're going to get from you. And I'd love to know a little bit about the strategy. Oh, you'll probably laugh when I say that. <laughs> But you know, there is, you know, putting you together know, how, you, how you find your guests and how and how how it all comes together. Sometimes yeah. the strategy is not is not having a strategy or not having a, the kind of strategy that other people have. I find. <laughs> I think that what's happened is I look at other people and they're really they seem really organised to me. Whether they're planning their content monthly or weekly mm. or writing lists and and I always felt like I didn't do that and I kind of. I think I hid behind it, but I do write lists mm. and I do have a strategy, but it's not that I, I don't plan my content. I don't sit and, mm. I tried it once. I absolutely hated <laughs> it. And I know it would have gotten better if I'd practiced, mm. but it wasn't the best use of my time. There are certain things I always do. I always do a silent Sunday. I always just uh, post mm. something and don't write anything, which is my favorite picture or video of the week. That's it. Mm. But that also gives me, it means that, it gives me permission to step away from Instagram and it gives me permission because writing the caption and then writing the alternative text, it's mm. a lot of brain power. So that's for my mental well-being. I've also made a conscious decision not to answer work emails mm. on Sundays, which when I, my big problem when I left teaching was that I thought I'd have to work all the time. Mm. And so I never, ever, ever, ever gave myself a break. And that mm. meant it took harder to get better Yeah, yeah because yeah. I was... I thought freelancers just worked all the time. Yeah. But actually you're allowed because not working is also part of your business. Mm. Scheduling rest and scheduling mm. time out is part of your business growth. I had to learn that the hard way. Mm. So I, I feel like once you've worked out that you want to do things, why you're doing things, for me certainly it's been a lot easier to show up on the social media platform. Yeah, it's funny what you're saying about the planning because I've just recorded a podcast episode literally earlier today, which was about when people say they can't do content planning, they usually are planning. It's just that they're not planning in the way that someone else defines planning. Like, absolutely, you know, your silence Sunday, that's a strategy. There's thought behind that. There's a why behind you do that, why you do that. And it's purposeful. But where's the best place for people to find you in the meantime, Karen? So I have a website, thekarenarthur.com. I have a podcast on all podcast platforms, Menopause Whilst Black, which is coming to the end of its third season. I'm on Instagram as the Karen Arthur and as Menopause Whilst Black, depending on what what you're interested in. But certainly the Karen Arthur is my original and I talk about all sorts over there. I'm on Twitter, the Karen Arthur. Brilliant. We'll put all of your links in the show notes and we look forward to seeing you at the event. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to it too. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did and you're as excited to meet Karen in person as I am. So Karen is speaking at my Courageous Content Live event on November the 1st and 2nd in Newcastle. If you come and join us at the event, you'll get two days of top-notch content marketing training along with two days of networking and connecting with other like-minded business owners. Podcasting, blogging, YouTube, social media, email marketing, SEO, Pinterest. If it has anything to do with content and promoting your business online, 
then we cover it at Courageous Content Live. If you'd like to join me at the event, I've added a link in the show notes. But please don't leave it too late because the ticket prices do rise the closer we get to the event. So it's Courageous Content Live, November the 1st and 2nd. I will add a link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Courageous Content Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode on social media. That way, more people can benefit from the free tips and strategies I share. And be sure to tag me in when you do. I'm at Jan Murray on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. 